bla 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 this is the thing this is the thing the thing the thing we need to have a hand signal for who's gonna go first yeah but or we could just discuss it before we turn on the mic yeah right yeah i'm erica prince simons i'm taylor weech and this is the thing yes on Monday, January 31st, we went down to City Hall to a rally that happened in advance of the City Council meeting where City Council voted unanimously to essentially ban um, banning ban a religious registry of any kind. Yeah. So first I interviewed Autumn Reed, who I had never met before, and she is a member of NOW, the National Organization for Women, and had some interesting thoughts about how to be sustainably an activist and how she chooses to go about that. Yeah. And then I talked to Chelsea Alder, who is a friend, um, a friend of mine who uh, we ran into and she shared a little bit about why she was there as someone who hasn't been super politically active in the past. And then I also talked with Fitz who is one of my co-conspirators on the peace and justice action league steering committee uh, and they're also a badass performance poet in Spokane. Direction refuse of your teeming shore. The homeless. The homeless. The homeless. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Can you just start by saying your first and last, however you'd like to be identified? Sure. Autumn Reed. And what brought you out here tonight? Um, so just uh, the injustices. This administration, and it's not just Trump, it's the entire administration that um, is just, they're just railing against all of these, you know, social dignities that we have. I mean, all of this stuff that we fought so many years for. Women, LGBTQIA, like, you know, all for racial justice, for social justice, for all of this stuff. Like, he's just dismantling it in a matter of days, and it's just really pissing me off. So what is your kind of preferred method of activism? Actually, I've um, been coming out to a lot of events, but I'm also involved uh, in NOW. So um, I'm working with their executive... National Organization for Women. Yeah, the National Organization for Women, yeah. I'm working with their executive committee to make sure that we... All this activism, all this, like, just energy that's happening right now, like, we keep that momentum going. And so we're just working on getting all committees together, like, just getting everybody, like, making sure that everybody has a voice and making sure that they understand how they can use it. So if you want to just start by sharing your name, however you'd like to be identified. Chelsea Alder. Okay. And um, what brings you out tonight? Uh, supporting refugees and immigrants. And uh, are you, would you say that you're like generally a politically active person? We're going to walk in. I would say that I definitely have aspirations to be generally politically active, but as far back as I can remember, I've always been way more liberal than any politicians I know, so I've never really actually done a whole lot. Mm -hmm. So what about this moment has you, like, coming out? Because it's a combination of Trump is just so fucking awful that I feel like I really have to, and also I've always voted Democrat just because they were fine. And this past election was the first time it's like, they are not fine anymore. Like, they're not a a serviceable option for me. So So where do you think we go from here to, like, make that viable option? Like, 
which part of that divide? Like, well, I don't know, whatever for you. Like, uh, like, how do you see this getting sustained into something? I mean, that beyond? I think that I think that a lot of the sort of uh, Beltway common sense media is like, oh, we need like we need like a better like centrist party, and I. I don't think that's true. I think we have a right-wing party and a very, very barely left-of-center Democrat party, and we need an actual leftist party. Yeah. And whether that involves taking over the current Democratic party, like if they choose Keith Ellison or something like that, would be one option, or if we just create a new party and go from there. I'm not sure how that's going to go yet. I think one of those two options, though. Yeah. And what... um What's your just emotional reaction to seeing so many people showing up so much in Spokane? It's so exciting. I remember when Occupy was first happening, I went to a couple of their protests, and they were always so tiny, and it was kind of disheartening. Megan and I went to the one that was yesterday, Mm -hmm. and the Facebook post said to meet in front of the Statue of Lincoln. So we were walking over from Brown's edition, and there was only a tiny group of people there, and we are like, oh that's really sad and just Megan was really tired and she was like I think I just want to go home and nap and I was like okay yeah that's fine so then we were walking and we actually walked past where the big group was in mm-hmm. front of Kathy Morris Rogers things and we were both like oh shit let's go over there and just like energized and excited and went over there and it was really great and I'm really happy to see that in Spokane cool yeah is there anything else you want to add uh just just don't give up keep fighting who else wants to speak come on we got a bunch of people here Come on, guys. If you can just start by saying your name, how would you like to be identified? My name is Fitz. Okay, and what brings you out here today? Um, I'm here to specifically uh, show show support for immigrants in Spokane and show support for Muslims in Spokane um, and do what I can. I, as a member of the Peace and Justice Action League of Spokane Steering Committee um, and a um, and a member of the poetry community in Spokane um, to testify and show my support. What role do you think poets have in uh, resisting fascism? <laughs> um, poets have the really important role of uh, getting people really fired up um, and also connecting to people who may or may not already be on our side. I think I think art has the ability to touch and persuade people in a moment that's where that's really valuable right now. Thanks. And uh, what's your reaction been as someone who's been involved in activism in Spokane for quite some time to this kind of surge since the inauguration? Um, my first, my initial response is I'm absolutely floored that so many people are coming out and showing up to protests with 12 hours notice or showing up to a city council meeting. Um, but my secondary worry is um, that people are really excited now and they're going to get burnt out in about three weeks. So I'm hoping to do a, also do what I can to spread knowledge about self-care and not stretching yourself too thin because I think we're in for a really long fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you could summarize that to like a small, like what does it take, do you think, for to be in for the long haul on issues like this? I think ultimately it's taking care of yourself, your physical body. Um, don't give up on your relationships and your interests. Now is like a really important time <laughs> to stay involved in those things. Um, and just ske- schedule yourself well. This week, uh, I think we're all a little fatigued. Everyone's kind of like gone hard 
since the inauguration, probably since November, mm-hmm. we've all just been kind of like vacillating between despair and feeling like we can make a difference and trying mm-hmm. to do stuff and burning out. And like panicked frenzy. It's like yeah. maybe at the other yeah. end of the spectrum. And personally, I have a fear that we will all check out and then all the bad shit will happen. Uh, but luckily, Taylor Weech is an oh, expert goodness. in sustained activism. <laughs> so I'm hoping to just ask you some questions about yeah. what your life is and what oh, kinds goodness. of activism you think are most necessary on a sustained basis so people who do want to be making a difference in a way that isn't um, gonna burn them out know kind of where to plug in and how to use their strengths and Mm -hmm. kind of shake off some of hopefully like I think we shared this opinion that we all need to shake off kind of like the guilt of not doing enough or not doing the right things and just find a thing that feeds us mm-hmm. yeah. that does make an impact. My first question for you, most important, what is your position on hovering? Oh, I forgot we were going to talk about hovering. <laughs> uh, so for for dudes, for people who don't sit down to pee, um, this is a thing. Uh, <laughs> you either sit on the seat or you don't. Um, I'm, I'm into hovering. I've been waiting to have this discussion with you for like a week. Um, I generally hover in public bathrooms partially because toilet seats are gross and those paper things are weird that you can put on to avoid this. And also it makes me feel strong. It makes me like, especially when I was in better shape, I'm in horrible shape right now from being sick for a month. I just like have no muscles anymore, but like just a nice way to like get some squats in, you know, like 20 seconds or however long your pee might be. Um, so it makes me feel strong. And you're making a face like you have a different opinion about hovering. So <laughs> this is to, to me, it's kind of like the zipper, like merging onto freeways, the zipper argument where it there's one really simple solution to it, but it requires full cooperation from all parties. I have no idea what you're talking about. So the zipper merge method is like one car that's on the freeway, one car that's in the merge lane, one car that's on uh-huh. the freeway. So we zipper together. Oh, okay. So nobody yields to anybody. You just all use your fucking brains. Yeah. Um. So basically, my argument against hovering is that the only reason that toilet seats are gross in the first oh. place in women's only restrooms is because bitches hover and spray <laughs> on the seat. <laughs> if we all sat on the toilet seat, the only bacteria that would be on the toilet seat would be like other people's like ass cheek skin cells which is much less gross than like your pee that i'm sitting on uh but like i don't pee onto the seat everybody says that but like (laughs) i know what it's like (laughs) to pee as a woman and i just think it's like i think it's just impossible to aim in a perfect stream as a woman i don't know that is true every time i've had to like medically like pee into a cup, which I it's feel like I've had to do a lot. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. And even if you can't see it, and I'm the person and who, like, I, like, will inspect the toilet seat, and then I'll sanitize the toilet seat. Like, damn. <laughs> That's, I, I admire your commitment, and, like, really. But also, like, I'm gross, and I'm... <laughs> I would contend that that's why I don't get sick, because, like, I'm at peace with, like, the germiness of the world, mm-hmm. and as much as it grosses me out to think about 
I just like choose not to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's I, my solution to that. Yeah. Because I know that like biologically we're better off if we're slowly we gaining germs. resistance to germs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do get furious if there's like pee on the seat. I'm yeah. just like, that's your responsibility. Yeah. You know? And, and there's, a, been, there's like, a diffusion of personal responsibility mm-hmm. in like public bathrooms though. Because yeah. people are like, oh, it's someone's job to clean that. So I worked at a place where there were, it was a very sexist work environment. And so. Shocking. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It was a 75% male office and most of the females worked as in kind of like some sort of administrative situation. And I was the uh, receptionist and the office manager. So I was responsible. Like I was the person people would come to and be like, hey, there's period blood on the toilet seat again. And, like, it was actually necessary in, like, a building of professionals where there are only, like, nine females or something like Mm -hmm. that to make a sign and post it that says, if you fucking drip period blood on the toilet seat, (laughs) fucking clean it up. (laughs) Like, like, there were not enough women for this anonymous phenomenon to go on. Yeah. The woman who did the cleaning for the building said that in the men's bathroom, some person would routinely clip their fingernails and leave them in a pile... In the corner of the shower or toilet stall. What the fuck is wrong with people? Ugh. People are gross. That's the thing I think we can all agree on. Including yeah. myself. I'm gross. And maybe there's ways. like a little bit of an extension of that kind of <laughs> like public space feeling of anonymity and lack of accountability that extends to... The way that we operate our lives in general now, including like political action, where it's like, you know, I mean, see that with all things where people, you know, like my dad who has a fucking PhD and should like care about this kind of stuff is just like, yeah, I'm not into politics. I mean, like you don't have a choice. That is like the height. Like you get into politics or politics gets into you. (laughs) Like, you know, you just like don't get to like disengage and then like. You know, but I think that is, like, the privilege of a lot, Mm -hmm. especially, like, white middle-class people. Like, we can say we don't care and it won't impact us Mm -hmm. in hugely catastrophic ways. I mean, if you're female, there are now huge catastrophic implications for, like, Mm -hmm. what might happen to your reproductive rights and stuff. But, But, you know, it is a thing for many, many people in our country that they're just like, well, I don't have to care. Mm -hmm. And the outcomes are not my responsibility which is just like false yeah which is like how we got here right even if it doesn't you don't see it impacting you it impacts other people so Mm -hmm. yeah um are you experiencing fatigue right now um i think that mine is i'm i'm coming out of it i'm like coming back into being a normal person and you also had pneumonia mostly from being like almost dead for a month which triggered and like deepened an already existing like bout of serious intense depression the likes of which i had not seen for a long time so like that's a fatiguing experience and it was like against the backdrop of like really whack shit happening and uh initially right after the election i had two waves of this phenomenon happening because people in the world know that i do activism stuff and that i care about things and I'm like publicly involved in those things. So right after the election, like the day of the election, I got totally inundated with messages that that time made me really happy. I was like, oh, like people want to like 
be in the fight and like fight fascists and uh, just people being like, what do I do? And that was exciting. And then... And that's kind of the moment you've been waiting for. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's frustrating to be like involved long-term, especially in like, like wanting to be involved in, in like radical politics, like transformational spaces and being told like, oh, that's not practical. That's not useful, blah, blah, blah. Um, and also just like being with the same dozen to a couple dozen people most of the time, having kind of like the same arguments somewhere like Spokane. And it's, it's good in some ways. And there's been really good work done together across those differences. But then it's like, oh, wow, all these new people. That's great. Um, and then the second wave of that was right after the inauguration. And um, that was more fatiguing to me because um, I think I was trying to figure out, and I still am trying to figure out where is my spot going to be in this new landscape. So um, I'm trying to figure that out. And people were really approaching me with like, what's the plan? Like, oh, does the plan get activated now? And it's like, there, there isn't a plan. Um, and, or rather there are a lot of plans. There are a lot of plans. Yeah, exactly. And, and I you think, want it that way, right? Like you don't want some centralized. Mm -mm. Yeah, definitely not. Sorry. My mouth is full of tea. Um, we're sipping I'm, tea this morning. Yeah, Sorry for the I'm disgusting for the sounds. We need it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It's, um, but we should get sponsored by like celestial, celestial seasonings. seasonings. Yeah. yeah. We love celestial seasonings. It keeps us going through our whole show. No. And also they do not ind individually wrap their tea bags. I mean, the tea bag is in a tea bag, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's not in like a plastic bag. Outside yeah. There's no the like additional wrapping. We'll, we'll have to hit them up. We'll have to tag them in this episode. So let me ask you just to kind of back up mm -hmm. what, what exactly is it that you have, that you do or have done or have been involved mm -hmm. in, in like the activist space? Like, what does that look like for you? Um, I've been thinking about that because a lot of my role has been through doing my radio show that I've done for four years, which is kind of, a, it's kind of like a meta thing because it's been a show about activism. So I've, interviewed people and tried to just help communicate like what are the options what do people do and does it work it's called praxis today is actually the last uh live show that i'm doing i'm gonna leave the radio world of that and just and relaunch as only a podcast as part of storyboard which is our broader project uh in the spring sometime so it's not dying it's just changing and but so that's been a lot of it to like elevate other people's work and also try to spur some dialogue about what we can do. Like the conversations that we don't ever seem to have. Like, What are some examples of that? I think a big one is, I don't know if you saw the, the kid at NYU, not a kid, he's like a student aged person who asked Nancy Pelosi that question. Did you see that? No. He, he went off script. He had like gotten his question approved. And then asked her instead, he's like, you know, over like 52% of people under 30 or 25 believe that capitalism is no longer like an effective way to organize our economy in the U.S. Um, what's your reaction to that? Like as your party attempts to remain relevant, you know, what's your reaction to that? And she's like, well, first of all, we're capitalists. Like that's what we are. That's what the Democratic Party is. 
And, and like, that was, that was her answer, but it was, so I think just like asking questions like that, um, like kind of questioning the underlying premise of like, is there a way to participate in politics that isn't voting every two or four years? Is there a way to participate in politics outside of parties? Is there a way to like build alternative types of systems in the system that we're living in? So, um, so just like bringing those questions up and discussing them with people has been part of it. Um, in terms of like doing stuff, stuff, uh, my main, my beginning things, I ran a grassroots youth organization, uh, when I was a youth, I started when I was 18 and we did a lot of what I now realize was like grassroots organizing, but I didn't know that that was a thing at that time. And that was through community-minded enterprises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what so kind of stuff did you? We do basically did a process that I realize now we we're doing organically, but is a kind of time-tested organizing process of like going to our constituency, you know, which was like young people in Spokane, being like, "What sucks about Spokane?" And the answers were largely like, "There's not all ages art spaces." Um, there's not like meaningful stuff to do. Um, those were the two biggest ones. So we were like, okay, let's address that. Let's like create meaningful stuff to do and engage young people. So we built a community garden in Peaceful Valley in a partnership with the city and did gardening education with each other and uh, other like younger kids did farm tours and, uh, organized, an annual arts festival that like featured young people's work and stuff like that. And kind of all of it, none of it was overtly political, but it was kind of all, it was kind of all political in a way. Cause it was like young people asserting the right to just be like, we're going to build this thing over here. This is what we want. We're going to do it. Mm-hmm. You can help us if you want to grown ups, basically. And then from there I started doing the show cause I was getting disenchanted by on KYRS. On KYRS, yeah. For the next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so just to clarify what she said, we're going to be kind of expanding the current storyboardmedia.org mm-hmm. site to include Praxis and this show and also a few other pieces mm-hmm. that we're drawing together. Yeah. So look out for that Exciting in the next Exciting things. Yes. So then other activism stuff after that ended, I currently and have been involved in PJALS, Peace and Justice Action League, which is kind of, I think, the best local embodiment of that, like, broad stuff category. Like, peace and justice are both, like, many things. And So what does Peace and Justice Action League do as its kind of normal operations? So um, it's kind of a combination of being the, like, entry point for people who are anti-war um specifically it's the only like explicitly anti-war organization in spokane um so an entry point for that um there's a lot of people who so mobilizing on u.s-led war or intervention or torture it's kind of like a key thing just like keeping an eye on that situation and helping mobilize around it um that's been a big historical function of PJALS in a current one. Um, and then other justice issues, the main things for the last couple of years have been like really leading the police accountability um, 
pieces through like having, you know, like we, we host the coalition that works on police accountability and reform. So attending all of those meetings, like making sure somebody is aware of the process at city hall with the guild and then like communicating that to members. Cause it's complicated and sounds boring, but it's also super, important. super important. And that's like, that's a huge role. I think of activists that gets overlooked and it's something that introverts can do yeah. also just like paying attention to things and figuring out how to like find what's important about it. So, um, so, uh, and is PGL's local. Mm-hmm. There's no like, Nope, we are unaffiliated. <clears throat> We're partnered with certain national organizations, but yeah. Okay. Homegrown. You mentioned the issue of being an introvert, and that's something that you and I have talked about because I, I don't know if I am an introvert, but I am not comfortable with large crowds of people. Mm-hmm. It's just not a thing that I'm ever going to be doing on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And also philosophically, I feel like it can lose its impact if it's just like an all the time thing mm-hmm. versus if it's a thing that people don't normally do and then they do in large numbers. I'm not saying that people shouldn't protest on a smaller scale, but yeah. like I'm very aware as a former Christian of all of the things we do as people with privilege in society trying to make ourselves feel better mm-hmm. about what's going on in the world or feel powerful mm-hmm. when we know that the things that would make a true impact are out there but they take work or they're mm-hmm. boring or they take time and we don't totally. want to do that. So we do this other yeah. thing to kind of put a bandaid on or it Or do for a thing that, yeah, yeah. Or that makes us feel like, oh, I'm not part of the problem anymore. Yeah. Pretty much everyone is part yeah. of the problem. So anyway, my yeah. main question for you is what are some kinds of activism that you see a need for mm-hmm. right now? Or, you know, like we can talk about the specific places later, but... Mm-hmm. What are things that you think actually make a change? I just, this is perfect timing. um, And I think you're right on to say like, like not every situation demands a march. And when a march is really, I think people also have like a misunderstanding of like what that tactic is for. Like, What is it for? I think the function is to like hit pause on society and be like, leave your house, bring your pots and pans, like raise a ruckus like we're not doing anything until we solve this problem you know and and it's like a more militant thing you know it's a more militant type of action and so for me I have a lot of frustration and this has been a conversation it's been a frustration I've had like within Pajals within like because Spokane is so culturally like nice you know and Mm -hmm. like doesn't want to rock the boat and especially because the boat here is pinned by institutions like Fairchild Air Force Base and like Gonzaga University, you know, like there, there just is a deep vein of conservatism here, I think, that people adapt to. So like having a, having a march, finger quotes, that's on the sidewalk, I feel like is not a march. Having a march that is like going not to a specific place that like doesn't have a target and is like a circle, which is what happened for the women's March, which the people who organized the local one, I like really applaud and I met them and like them and they had never organized something like this before. Who was it? Uh, It was just a group of women who were like, Oh yeah, we should do a solidarity event. And 
um, they came to PJALS and they're like, you're the people who march, like teach us how to do this, you know? And, but well, they, it was cool. already kudos yeah. to them for right? reaching out to an existing organization. Yeah. yeah. So, but we didn't end up as PJALS planning it or anything. They had their, their group. And so anyway, yeah, I feel like it should be much more targeted. You know, I feel like a lot of the black lives matter marches have, have done that in other cities that have been like, no, we're like shutting down this area because of what you know because of a specific injustice like with a specific target so i'm doing i just taught a workshop at eastern about this very thing um it was like an organizing 101 kind of workshop because i think when people picture activism they picture rallies and marches they picture like people yelling with signs Mm -hmm. and like that's the only thing that you can do and in fact there's like a whole menu of things to do Um, So I really hope that we can have good conversations about like strategy and tactics during this time, which are conversations that happen in certain spaces, but even in a lot of like, quote unquote, organizing spaces, they don't happen. It seems clear now that like the Republican Party and especially like the fringe, the like Christian fascist right, like they have a strategy Mm -hmm. and they've been enacting it for many years and it's been very successful. Like, I feel like the Tea Party had a strategy as, you know, a kind of entity within that. And they, like, enacted their strategy and were very successful. I think there's a lot of, like, magical thinking that happens on, quote, unquote, our side that prevents us from being strategic. So, what does magical thinking mean? Like, like, oh, if we all just love enough, like, oh, we're all right. So, like, the facts will triumph because that's what should happen. And that's just not how it works like historically you know like unfortunately like being right has very little impact on what happens it tends to be like who more effectively like has power so what I shared in that workshop was I'll link to it this guy named Eric McBay made a really great uh, taxonomy of action which is basically like here's all of the things you can do and so one side of it is omission, acts of omission, which is like strike, boycott, uh, walkout, tax evasion, (laughs) basically, you know, like I'm going to like withhold what I have, whether it's my labor or my vote or my money from the system that I'm targeting. So those are one side. And then the acts of commission are like offensive basically. And they he puts them on a scale from, um, from indirect to direct. So it starts with things like lobbying, uh, petitions, like things that are basically like asking people in power to change their behavior. Uh, and then it moves toward to things like big demonstrations, but he also includes things like public education in there, like teaching people about the issue, so working on solutions, lobbying and letters and stuff like that, that's mm-hmm. considered direct or indirect? Indirect. Okay. Because it's basically like you're still depending on someone else to take Got the it. required action. That makes um, sense. And that can be really important in certain scenarios. Like I think that's working really well right now because of the amount of people that are engaging in that. So um, he also points out that the more indirect the more people you need for it to be successful. Uh, like one person calling their congressman every day to be like, you got to fix our roads or mm-hmm. whatever is not 
is really easy to ignore and just like doesn't work. Uh, if you want to do something that's effective with one to three people, it moves toward the direct side, which like the extreme end of the direct side of actions is like offensive personal violence, just like assassination and stuff, (laughs) (laughs) which like as a non-violence person, I'm like, no, like it can be effective in just like utilitarian terms of like, well, now the bad person is gone, but you know, it, it has consequences. So I can share that. But I think just being, thinking about like, who who need like who has the power to meet our demands what are their weaknesses and like what are their needs who do we need on our side to win how do we get those people on our side and then like what are our tactics and really like in activism it should be a campaign it's not just like one magical event is going to solve everything so any campaign should be like a a series of heightening tactics that are like increasing pressure on so when there are so many things like right now do you think it i've seen a number of people in my kind of the world is burning support group that have made a commitment to taking a chunk of each day and making phone calls about whatever issue Mm -hmm. um and that's their thing because they have kids and you know like that's Mm -hmm. just like that's what they can do and they're going to do that thing on the other side of it. I think there's this possibility of being like, I pick this issue and I'm just going to kind of put blinders on for most other issues, barring like super catastrophic things. I think we all just like are going to get enraged and want to mm-hmm. do something about something. Yeah. I hope so. But <laughs> um, You know, like you can either kind of try to sp- Spread your love where you can mm-hmm. broadly or focus in on one issue. And we've talked about in non-recorded conversation about kind of the guilt that comes along with that. I This is something that I have, I've had to work on a lot and I still have a lot of work to do as like somebody who is like way out in the fringe being like, burn it all down. Let's start over, you know, um, and, and focusing on systemic stuff like like capitalism and like system level stuff. I think that there's a big tendency, especially in like radical circles to have that like purity mentality Mm -hmm. of like, Oh, well, you know, like we can't find common cause with these people because like, you know, Nancy Pelosi is the enemy because she is like capitalist. And like, I do whatever. I don't want to talk about Nancy Pelosi, but I brought it up that that's a, a problematic thing. And I'm trying to find for myself right now, like, where the line is between wanting to assert like what I think is effective versus what isn't. Um, but I think that like guilt and shame don't accomplish anything. And there are people who perpetuate that and who say like, oh, well, you care about this, but you don't care about this. And I see specifically, I see men doing it all the time about feminism in the US who are like, what are you complaining about? Like women have it better here than all these other places. And all of a sudden Mm. they really care about like female genital mutilation or like oppression of women in other countries, which also tends to be super racist PS just being like, Oh, you can't care about this thing because this other thing. Yeah. And it tends to just be, it's, it's like all lives matter. It's like, where are the all lives matter people now? Oh, they didn't care. They just didn't want to hear people saying black lives matter. Yeah. You know? So I think that people who, are really like perpetuating that might as well be like they're serving the same function as like agent provocateurs would be (laughs) like they're like 
destroying the movement, whether they realize they are or not by doing that. So I think we just have to learn to like not listen to that, but also be mindful of like, what is my thing? Like, where am I focusing? Because it's really easy right now to get on Facebook or whatever and get sucked in a thousand different directions and like totally drained and end up not doing anything. Yeah. And I think Um, like one of the cool things about being focused in on a thing, like my thing for my whole adult life has been feminism and I'm I can't not be angry about it all the time, which I think is a good indicator that that's like the space I need to be in because Mm -hmm. I'm going to care whether or not I'm putting my energy somewhere else. That's the thing I'm going to care the most about. And because I'm in that space and I have been for a long time, I'm in a good position to examine that Mm -hmm. and see where it needs to be. That movement needs to be more inclusive or needs to shift. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be... It's not the case that because you're focused on one thing that you're blind to everything else. Mm-hmm. It just means that you're that there's a point where you can stop. You know, like I feel very overwhelmed by how just the volume of stuff that I care about that I feel like needs my attention and action right now and like giving myself permission to be like you can't do every single thing and be effective Mm -hmm. is helpful. Yeah. And what I think it's really about is seeing where your thing, like remembering that like the separateness is also an illusion, you know, that like all of these issues are one issue without feeling like a personal responsibility to take on every part of it. And I think that's where I get frustrated when people are like, no, you either care about the environment or, or women yeah. and it's like like as if those are separate things yeah. you know audrey I mean, lord I, I had to look up oh, to make sure this yeah. this quote is right but like audrey lord's famous like intersectionality quote is there's no such thing as a single issue struggle because we do not live single issue lives which is just like that's awesome badass yeah and i think there's a tendency right now to like a defensive tendency to just be like oh yeah like just like start calling things intersectional and being like oh yeah of course it is like that's a tendency in like capital W, capital F, white feminism right now and a lot of other places. But I don't think people have like really like doing the work to internalize that and like support each other in the ways that we would if we understood that it was all connected. And I think you're um, missing a point if you're not you personally. Oh, but yeah. I think like one <laughs> we miss like, you know, going back to my like white liberal male friends who are so offended when they think I might be calling them sexist. And I think like white people in general are like this about being called racist. If your focus is on making sure that nobody can call you that anymore, you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. Like that's again, like making it about us, which is Mm -hmm. what the critique is in the first place. Like you're making this all about Mm -hmm. you and you don't know how to make it about anything but you. We have to learn to have it not be about us and not Mm -hmm. to have the conversation about other people's shit revolve around what we think about Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And I think there's also an element of that doesn't mean I don't I'm not interested in coddling people, but I also do want I think that a lot of the white supremacist right, which is especially like the actively violent, um, not just like violent ideology, but like violent actions, white supremacist right, which is overwhelmingly like young white men. I think that a lot of that is a reaction to people asserting that more and saying like, not every space is about you. Fucking mm-hmm. duh, you know, but like, and, and feeling like 
things are being taken away from them as a result. And so I don't want to like coddle that because I don't care, you know, but also I think that there is a zone. I've talked with a lot of like straight white men who kind of feel who really like want to support all of these struggles and really care about like justice and equity and, and things, but are a little bit timid about engaging because they're like, Oh, am I like allowed to have an opinion? You know? And it's like, yes, fucking, of course you are. But like, shh, more often. Yeah. Don't assume that people want to know what you think about it. But I think it's really like something that I've learned that I'm still, cause I'm working on a lot of the same stuff. You said, you know, of like white womanness, um, you know, feeling really like justly like pissed about sexism, but then also like learning to like temper that, being like, oh yeah, people deal with like other like stacks of things on top of this, and like I should probably be listening to those people. Um, it's not. I, I I found it really like liberating and awesome to learn to do that and and to be like, oh, what is this badass, like working class woman of color want us to do politically. And then just like do that, you know, just like to... practically, how do you, mm-hmm. um, find that out? Like, how do you mm-hmm. find out? Like, I, I mean, I've had a lot of awesome guys, including my husband. He does this regularly. He's like, you know, here's this issue. I don't know, like this issue relating to women or just like, this world issue that I think you might have good insight mm-hmm. on. And he's really interested in like what a feminist perspective of things are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had guys just straight up be like, I don't want to be oppressive toward women, but like, I understand that like literally my existence, if I don't make efforts <laughs> is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like what are the things that I can do to help or not do harm and just that curiosity. And I think that's kind of what people miss, like, on all fronts. And I'm, I struggle with this, too. Like, that fear of, like, doing something but then doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or doing it awkwardly, which I think is just growing pains. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, like, I, to guys, like, I would say, like, do a thing. Try. But, like, if you're not, if your tendency is to try to, like, no, rather than ask, like that's mm-hmm. probably an indicator that you're not on the yeah. right track. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. I was recently in a really interesting, I got added to a Facebook conversation that was kind of a post women's March, like really well-meaning, like white women, like wanting to do a thing and also wanting to address what you're talking about being like, oh no, like, ah, was this accidentally like super like white supremacist, like light, you know, event. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we're like, Oh, what we should do is put together a panel with like women of color who can like share their personal experience of like racism within the women's movement or like just like their, their story in general. And like, who could we invite to that? And like, let's do that. And, uh, me and some other people who were added to it were kind of like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like maybe that, isn't the best thing maybe like well at least like asking like do you want to share your story in front of a bunch of people because it really like who would that be for you know it would be for like the like white female audience to a feel better about themselves for having listened and to also just like yeah kind of like publicly like 
get on the right side of things. Mm -hmm. And I was saying like that, like if a random dude came up to me and was like, explain feminism to me, like explain your experience of sexism. In front of a room of men who are mm -hmm. then going to like make their conclusions that they consider authoritative about like whether or not it was worthy of good. I would be pissed. And like, so I was trying to like, so I like framed it that way, you know, and especially like, I think that it's a really tense zone to like, uh, just assert yourself as an ally, like crown yourself as an ally, um, which is something I didn't realize or think about with like the squishiness of the safety pin thing until I read something someone wrote that was like, you don't get to decide you're an ally. Like I decide you're an ally. Like if men are like, oh, don't worry, you can trust me. I'm a feminist. I'm just like, I already don't trust you. Yeah, I'm just like looking at you <laughs> sideways. And I feel like it's probably, you know, I've heard and read like similar things from people of color, like white people being like, yeah, I'm like super not racist. I'm like, cool. I'm like on your team. People are like, are you though? Like are sketched out by that. So like possibly the best thing is to be willing to live in question mark land mm-hmm. of just like, I have this intention mm-hmm. and I'm learning stuff mm-hmm. and I'm going to... Yeah. Be brave and put myself out there and try yeah. and ask a lot of questions. And be in uncomfortable spaces yeah. too, you know? And if you can't, like, I was I was basically saying, like, to ask someone to do something like that, to ask someone to, like, be really emotionally vulnerable around a bunch of strangers is something that should come from, like, a pre-existing relationship of trust. Sure. And if you don't have pre-existing relationships of trust with, like, women of color, you can't just, like, go make someone be your friend, first mm-hmm. of all, especially if it's, like, for a purpose like that. But, like, maybe think about why you don't have those relationships and, like, what kind of spaces are you in and what kind of spaces could you be in that are more, like, how can you make the spaces you're already in more welcoming and how could you get into other spaces that you're not in? And if you're just, like, somewhere that's overwhelmingly white, like Spokane, and, like, it's hard to find those intersections, it's not impossible in Spokane, but difficult, like, just, re- like, pick some There's a bunch of badass writers, current and historical, who are badass, like, queer women of color, you know, like, even just in that, like, specific zone, there's a bunch, and just, like, seek out different perspectives. Become a friend with a dead or living writer, (laughs) like, you know. um, I've talked with a couple of lady friends of color who are, like, because there is so, there are so few of us in this community, every single, especially women who are in predominantly white spaces that they are constantly asked to represent their entire like group Mm -hmm. on issues like that, which is really exhausting. Mm -hmm. I find it most exhausting when talking with guys, period, especially (laughs) about feminism that um, they're, tendency is to take in information and then make a declaration of what they deem the value they deem it it to have whether it's like this is good or this is valuable Mm -hmm. or this is bad or including your like lived experience yeah and i'm like i literally don't need to know your assessment of like my assessment of my own Mm -hmm. life experience like i'm sharing it to you so that with you so that you can understand me better and now you're making a judgment of it which makes me not trust you And I think that's what we try to do with everyone who has an experience outside of ours. Like, I'm not necessarily for people. I'm neutral on people smashing out car windows and lighting cars on fire, Mm -hmm. lighting trash cans on fire, like doing kind of 
protest that involves violence toward inanimate objects <laughs> and maybe also punching Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do have opinions, but I'm not willing to express them. Okay. Uh, but basically, like, what I object to is that, like, every white dude on the planet thinks that, like, they get to say what value that has, like, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Mm-hmm. When I think a lot of people who are in a position of more intense levels of direct protest are people who are closer to the issue mm-hmm. at hand or who feel more personally impacted by the issue that they are protesting. So for us, from our safe place of, mm-hmm. you know, not being, not having like violence directly uh, done to us by the government, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to make armchair judgments that don't take into account like the desperation mm-hmm. of being, you know, like when you've had just a lot of experiences of members of your family or yourself being mistreated by police, Mm -hmm. your reaction to like a police shooting is going to be very different than if you've never known anyone who has been impacted in that way. Mm -hmm. So one of the critiques often of black block is it's whiteness and maleness, um, which isn't always true. The, some of the like more, intense things that have happened recently. And Black Block is... Black Block is just in general, like, the the tactic of, like, having a a bunch of people, like, a united front of, like, more aggressive uh, tactics. So, like, the the UC Berkeley, um, like, action that stopped that vile dude from speaking there um, is, you know, an example. But... But historically, violent too, protest has not has not been only done by white men. No, no. But there is like a there sometimes is a critique that there's a density of like anarchists, like manarchists is the word um, <laughs> in in those. And I think that that comes from it, it. It's twofold, and I think that in general, I don't know. I don't really want to like dive all the way into that. But what I'm really saying is that like that is a thing that people can do. Like a a really good way to leverage your privilege is to be in those more high risk situations, tempering what the reaction of police is going to be. Like when people were like, Oh yeah. Patting themselves on the back. Like, Oh, the women's marches were so peaceful. There were no arrests. It's like, that's because cops want to like high five, like white women who are like knit their own fucking hat. Yeah. Yeah. Those hats were really cute. I'm not knocking on the hat. I'm just saying, but like that, and and there was a really good conversation, I feel like, after about that, because people, like, people of color specifically were like, hey, 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 here's why. <laughs> Maybe there were no arrests, because this was, like, led by white women who carry, like, a serious baggage that hurts us also, but, like, we're not, like, the predominant target of that, but, like, white female fragility has been, like, the kind of like, impetus for, yeah, for a lot of racial violence in yeah. this country, you know? So, like, white women get to be, like, this permanently victimized, like, innocent, pure symbol. So it's like, maybe take that to the street when there's a when there's an action. Maybe, like, mm-hmm. take that to Standing Rock and, like, see if police are as, you know... As willing to, will, put, like... Like, shoot you with rubber bullets at close yeah. range. Um, or, like, put you in a cage in freezing temperatures, which is what was happening. So before we wrap up, I want to ask you... You've talked about PJLs. Mm-hmm. Um, where else, kind of, for for women, for people, 
mm-hmm. who are currently in a situation of like, I haven't been activist before, I like to get involved. What are some ways that people can get involved that are kind of, it's a twofold question, like where are places that people can get involved? Where are places that you think are like not productive to get involved? I'd like mm. to hear that too. And what are some, I guess like the side question to that is what are some ways that people can make activism sustainable? Huh. I think just making time, I'm really into scheduling as a lifestyle thing. Some like figuring out what's my personal capacity to do activism type stuff. And if that's like 30 minutes a day, like figure out when are your 30 minutes going to be and what are you going to do? I think like having a plan is really useful because it's easy right now. And this is something I've gotten sucked into right now. You can easily spend an hour on Facebook or other social media or just online, like getting like, oh, about the issues. So it's like, are you going to read the news every day? How are you going to do that? Um, when are you going to do it? Like really just trying to, I think that can help with the mental health aspect of it to just say like, this is when I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it in these small bites and that that's fine. Like there's not a moral obligation to be tied into the 24 hour news cycle. I'm, I'm learning that Mm -hmm. like for myself, just like having, making, getting to make my own choices about what has permission to use my emotional Mm -hmm. energy. Yeah. And, and so I think that that's just like having boundaries in general is really important and really hard for a lot of people. Same with choosing, if you're going to get involved with a thing, picking how you're going to be involved and like being okay with like recontracting in that. Um, I'm really wary of any group or organization that like shames people for (laughs) changing their level of involvement or, um, you know, I think that you should like do the things you commit to do, but there should also always be a way to say, Hey, I committed to this when I felt better and now I don't feel good and I need to change what my commitment was. I think if you are going to get involved in an organization of any kind, like do an interview, you know, talk to some of the main leadership and be like, Hey, what's the like culture of this group or organization and find things like that out in advance. So, and, and there's a lot of different styles. There's, I'm encountering a lot of people who just want, like, want the marching orders and like, who do I call and when? And that's great, you know, and there are groups who will give you that. Something that I'm aware of that I'm just maybe going to jump in and Mm -hmm. talk about for a minute is, um, I used to be very politically involved in the Democratic Party Mm -hmm. and organizations that are kind of like propped up by, or, uh, you know, part of that machine, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, and there's a lot of manipulative language used to try to get people engaged in the form of giving money or giving their time. Um, and there's also a tendency for on more grassroots, which is a word that I hate because it's part of that manip- manipulative language, but more, um, like organic or, uh, like one issue things and make it their own issue and then try to control the conversation about it. And they'll use your data to put you on all these other lists. And then you're part of like, there was a point where I was inundated all day by emails from all of these different organizations, Mm -hmm. all telling me that like my reproductive rights or some other rights were like at risk Mm -hmm. imminently, but every day 
Yeah. Right. And yeah. It, like I, sometimes it's true, but a lot of the time it's not true. And I, as a person who believes a lot in like the ethics of both journalism and marketing, both things that I have been involved in. That's sketch. That is fucking yeah, sketch. That's not how movements work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't believe that you have to, because you're for one issue that a movement or that an organization is supporting that you have to be on board with all their issues or you're bad, mm-hmm. which is a lot of kind of the mind fuck that you'll get into with that also. Yeah. So beware yeah. of what list you put yourself on, I guess. <laughs> like that is not – being on every list is a good way to sap your energy while getting nothing done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would – I would yeah, I would second that. I would – my main tip for being involved in things is to do – Cause there's a lot of people right now who are like, I'm going to start an organization and it's going to be the organization that solves all these problems uh, without really knowing what the landscape is. So just do a really thorough like landscape analysis, whether you're in Spokane or somewhere else, like what issues do you care about? Who's already working on those issues? How are they working on them? Like what's their theory of change? And is it something you're down with? Um, and like, where can you plug in? And that I hope that somebody does that on a broad scale and just like shares, here's the gaps, you know, because mm-hmm. there are gaps, but they might not be the gaps that you think they are. And it might be more useful to ask is existing organizations like, hey, do you have anyone working on X? Can I help with that? So if you do want to get like intensely involved somewhere, that's a good and it's fine if it doesn't look like super being super activist all the time person. It's not about other people recognizing mm-hmm. your work. Yeah. It's super not a contest. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank Bye. you. Bye. What is You've been listening to The Thing, a project of Storyboard Media. For more episodes and information about our project, visit storyboardmedia.org. You can also search Storyboard Media in iTunes, on SoundCloud, or the other podcasting app of your choice. Don't go.